0: Hi, welcome to Hints of Gladness. I'm your host, Rod Jans. In our current series of podcasts, we're exploring the topic of contemplation. What does it mean and how does it impact the way we show up in the world? I'm hoping that these conversations will be a contemplative experience. So I invite you to join us, engage and be open as we discuss my guests' spiritual journeys and their contemplative experiences. My guest today is Justin McRoberts. Justin is an author and has written five books and has another one in the works as we'll learn in our conversation today. Justin's most recent book is entitled, it is what you make of it, creating something great from what you've been given. Justin is also a coach and a speaker, and I'll just read from his bio that he provides on his website. So this is Justin speaking. He says, I create to provide language for the process of faith and life. What I create is to help you live generously as well as help you to faithfully produce good work in the world. For that reason, I really like teaching storytelling and songwriting, which I've done for nearly 20 years. I've written books, recorded albums, and also curate and host the At Sea podcast. Whether I'm teaching, sharing songs and stories, leading a workshop on the creative process or inviting folks to engage in the fight against global poverty, I value every opportunity to encourage, challenge and inspire. One of the things that led me to talk to Justin is that two of his books are prayer related. And one specifically is entitled prayer that he wrote with the artist, Scott Erickson, who's also an author and, uh, an artist. Also, as I mentioned during our conversation, I really enjoy Justin's Instagram account to use religious wording. It is an edifying account. His posts are full of wisdom and depth. And as he mentions, His posts often come out of his own meditation and Lectio Divina practice. I really enjoyed my conversation with Justin about contemplation and his spiritual journey. So please help me welcome Justin McRoberts. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me on Hints of Gladness and our series on contemplation. My guest today, as you would have heard in the introduction, is Justin McRoberts. I was thinking last night, whenever I think of your name, I kind of want to add like a brave heart Scottish accent to it. <laughs> it's Roberts. Roberts. <laughs> it's Mike Roberts. Look at it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'll try to refrain from that, although now it's really in my brain. But it's just, I was just telling Justin that he's, he's written five books, and two of them are on prayer. One is called 40 Days with the Lord's Prayer, and the other one is just simply called prayer. And the 40 days of the Lord's Prayer obviously has to do with the Lord's Prayer. And prayer, the prayer book covers a bunch of different topics having to do with prayer. And I want to ask you a question about that later. So I've got a question oh. later on. But anyways, just welcome to, to this time. We've been doing something that is a little bit odd, I think, in the podcast and radio world, and that is spending some time in silence. So just inviting my guests to arrive and to be silent just for a moment. And also the people that are listening. So I haven't been giving a lot of instruction. We've just been diving in. So let's do that now. Let's just be quiet for, for a moment. Thank you. We've talked about this a little bit already, Justin, but I'm just wondering how, how we find you today, what sort of state or being <laughs> are you in? I'm in a
1: really good place. Weather is incredible. Both my kids started classes today, my daughter in kindergarten. so she started her more the kind of traditional academic path today, in kindergarten, my son in seventh grade and because their schedules are staggered, like I get to take both of them to school. And so, you know, highlight moments, right? I mean, those are those. Those are moments that they're iconic moments, first day of seventh grade, first day of kindergarten. So I'm having I'm having one of those like this is this day kind of moments like this, that this 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 cannot be and is not like an other day. Obviously, I'm making kind of allusion to part of what we get to with contemplation is these this is a day that you, you'd have to try real hard or be real banged up emotionally to not allow a day like this to be its own thing. So I'm having a very present day.
0: Oh cool. Yeah. Yeah. Day never to be repeated. I can I can remember some of those days too. Our our daughters are grown now, but yeah, just those first days, especially kindergarten. That's a that's a big one. <laughs> it is a big one. She kept
1: saying on the walk over, should, her school is, you know, about a mile from here. So we walked and she holding my hand and she kept, she kept saying, dad, I'm really nervous and I'm really excited at the same time and also with the same amount, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is just so self-aware, Uh down, little, yeah. little twerp. It's pretty good. She's really got both of those things going on. I mean, yeah, you know, like saying, yeah. One. Yeah, you're feeling the same. The same
1: thing, literally the same thing. I'm nervous and I'm excited.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, and speaking about kids, what were some of your spiritual influences when you were when you were younger?
1: That's a great question. Insofar as I only recognize that in retrospect, so I didn't grow up with any kind of intent practice or input. So from early childhood through into high school, religion was other people's gig. I, I know now that some of what I was reading, William Blake, you know, as early as a, you know, a freshman, a year of high school, started getting into poetry. And some of the music that I was paying attention to was informing and shaping me. So like I said, like William Blake, or there are a few other poets Edgar Allan Poe was a, was a pretty significant one, mostly having to do with like the the awareness of death. Both Blake and Poe. So I had an early, I know now, like I had an early fascination with the end of life, and I think for actually, I know for some adults, like that's because it was morbid. For me, it wasn't. It was there was a there was a a spark to my own experience of life because I was conscious and aware that the life I was living was going to come to an end. And that I was reading intentionally people who were writing about that, which led me to like some of my musical influences early on also approached sort of darker issues. And the first time there was any side of any kind of a real intentionalized spiritual influence was a was young life. I had a young life leadership in my life. And most of that, I mean, because it's a it's an evangelical organization was storytelling. And kind of, you know, helping to ref- hoping and helping to reframe my place in life with, with the Jesus narrative. But that was also really, really helpful.
0: Interesting. Yeah. We learn in contemplation that it's not an entirely bad thing. And other people say it too, to... Realize your mortality and realize that life is going to come to an end and beginning with the end in mind, all that type of stuff. Right.
1: <laughs> it is. I, I would actually even go so far as to say that it is part of the. is part of it. The, the it is part of the full awareness, a part of part of one's full awareness is some awareness of the temporal nature of my life. That's not just that this day ends or that this moment ends all of those endings are sign- signifiers, the temporal nature of life in general. So I think part of, part of being fully aware and fully awake is a recognition of an awareness of the end of my time in this body in this particular kind of consciousness. Yeah.
0: And that's why I think sometimes the ceremonies that we have around those things are, are really helpful too. They remind us of our mortality, don't they? Funerals. And I was just telling you, we were at a, at a wedding, you know, that, that too in itself reminds us of certain things. Yeah. <laughs> and that they're, they're, celebrations of, of life and all, all kinds of things. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah.
1: They're, well, they're, they're doing what I was saying before. I mean, like today, Mount the Mount Diablo Unified School District has a, this, a demarcation on the calendar. Like today is the day we start kindergarten or seventh grade. It's like, it's, it, it is a, it is a, it is a moment and a practice that makes me aware of like, Time has passed and there is a, you know, there is a future. That's part of what, you know, what a wedding does is it says, stop, pay attention. Like the relationship is there. Yeah. The commitment, for God's sake, let's hope it's actually already there. (laughs) But the the wedding is the, like the very intentionalized practice of stopping and paying attention to what is, that's what a ceremony like that does. It's like, this is what's
0: happening. Let's take a long look at it. And so that. That's cool, and and the wedding we were just at—they did that so well. Like it was like kind of like a five-day celebration. So there was all kinds of things. There's big family parties. There was—you would have appreciated this. One day, the groom is really into poetry, so he got several people together, and we went down to the beach and read poetry for 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 an hour or so. It's so cool. So, yeah, it was it was really well done. And it was over several days. It reminded me of weddings, maybe in a, in another culture, you know, where they, yeah they take more time to do those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's not just one day or a couple hours and it's over, you know, it's yeah. In your book on prayer, it says a simple yet profound guide to facilitate the instinctively human desire to pray that, that, that statement really stood out to me. And it kind of leads us into our next question is, you know, what drew you to contemplation, like what have you noticed even about yourself? What what did have you have? How have you noticed that instinctively human desire to pray? I wish I wonder if you could expand on that that some more. I, I just wanted to say too, because I, I I heard it even recently that people will sometimes say. I'm not religious. I don't go to church, but I pray. Like they pray for things, they pray for their relatives, or they pray for success, or yeah. or whatever. And and to me, it's just uh, it just exemplifies that that statement that you talk about in in the front yeah. of that. Yeah,
1: you know, like the coming to contemplation. I'll work a little bit backwards in that question to like the sort of deeper awareness ish of, sure. of uh prayer. My history coming to contemplation or recognizing that I was coming to contemplation came through the doorway of uh, disappointment. So, and I think this is actually, no, I'll just tell the story instead of like frame it and be like, it's not a negative thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. Because I started my journey as a, my my conscious religious journey in the context of, of like an evangelical outreach organization, my spiritual life was framed by work that like what what defined what drove maybe not defined but like what drove the centerpiece of spiritual practice was passing it on, It was like telling the story, not just like getting other people to believe it because that's really bad evangelism, but like telling the story in a way that connected with other people. This is what my young life leader did. He didn't ever try to convince me of anything. He just told the story and lived the, lived the life in which I was like, I, I, whatever that is, I want. And that, that was the thing that drove my life so that my, my desire to or need to connect with God was very much like, like the classic kind of filling station thing. Like I've got work to do and I need the information and the inspiration and the energy to go do the work because like life is about passing on and doing the work. And if life's about that, then I need from God the energy and the inspiration and the information to do that. So my prayer life was rooted there. Over time, that was dissatisfying. And I think it's supposed to be. I think that in other words, like that's not broken. It's just not everything. And what I, and what I came to find was, was shocking is though I was going to the divine to get stuff so I could do things, I was met by this deep love that said, hey, I know you're here for that. I really like you though. And I'm not, I'm not trying to just use you. And so over time, as I failed (laughs) as 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 an evangelist, or I was still met by this loving presence and wanted that at least as much and then eventually more than getting something in order to do the job. So there was something on the other side of just getting the energy and the information and the inspiration. There's a deep connection here. And it actually was for me. That was confounding. And so when I started communicating that to the people around me, thank God I was surrounded by women and men who were read in, in some of the contemplatives. And so Dave, my young life leader, passed new seeds of contemplation to me at 19, which led to call a and and then into the Desert Fathers and Mothers. And I was just like absorbing this, like, oh, this is, and it wasn't, and I think you get, you get this, like it wasn't like new information. It was, it gave specifically what, what Merton did with new seeds. It was like, oh, this is language for like, this was already happening. Like, oh, that's what that was. Yeah. That, that's that feeling. Oh, that's, that's this sensation. Oh, that's that desire. It was suddenly language for things that was, that were already happening in me. So in a sense, like I, I, I recognize that, I was, I recognized what I now call contemplation was already happening in my life. I just didn't have the language for it. I think that's actually true of a lot of people, which is part of, and this is is part of the reverse engineering. Part of what I recognized because I was given the language to was that there was already this connection between me and God that, that my initial religious training didn't have language for. There wasn't language in my evangelical training for the kind of interpersonal, deep connection I was having with God. I had to be given that language by someone else. So I I think that happens a lot. I think that happens maybe all the time where there is this connection between a person and God. And it takes someone offering language for the thing that's already happening in order for folks to recognize that. That's part of what I mean when I say, like, I think prayer is just happening. Prayer is not predicated on my ability to pray. It is the ongoing, ever present conversation between God and my soul. It's just going on. And then having language allows me to participate in it.
0: Excellent. That's a great explanation. And I'm wondering, like, you mentioned. Love as being a part of that for me, and, and the reason I ask is something I feel like I missed for such a long time. I kind of had a, I kind of had an epiphany back in 2017. Like, oh crap, I've been doing all this contemplation stuff. But and, and in retrospect, yes, there there was love there, but I never really totally made that connection. What was that? How did that surface? How did that awareness surface for you? Like, how what? In what way were you aware of
1: that love? Same, same with regards to like, this is, this is a hundred percent my journey all the time is I actually, just, I, I'm writing a book, I'm, I'm editing a book right now called Sacred Strides. that is about like the recognition of my, the recognition and of my belovedness as the root to all things nice. that, that rest and work aren't opposites. This is very Parker Palmer Re- rest and work aren't opposites. They are both. They both ex- extend from and then return me to my deep desire to be fully alive, which I call belovedness. We live, we live in the belovedness of the God who holds all things together at all times and in rest and in work, work I return to it. So how do I get to that? <laughs> it's literally like I would just, I would, I would tr- everything I do for the most part, if, if I'm conscious of it, like I don't half ass things. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm all in. Let's do this. If we're going to do it, we're going to go all the way in, which means that when I come to the end of the usefulness of a thing, like I hit it hard. I don't know if if you if you're a pop culture person at all, but the show West Wing, Do you remember the show West Wing? Yeah, I didn't watch very much of it, but I did see a few episodes. Yeah. So at some point, the president's chief of staff says to his says to the staff because they're missing left and right. They're getting hesitant about their they're they're over strategizing and they're not moving. And what he says is if we're going to be hitting walls, I want us hitting them full steam ahead. And that's how I (laughs) learn. Look, Like, I just come to the end of things and I come to the end of myself in like really recognizable, like, oh, that's what that is, ways. And what I would find is in my efforts to pray, in my efforts to work, in my efforts to rest, in my efforts, like I would come to the end of things. And at the end of myself, In the effort to rest, which is a funny thing, and the effort to work, I would still have this sense of actually being held and held together. And I now recognize that as the belovedness. I literally quite have, I quite literally have to come to the end of my own efforts somewhat regularly in order to really sense like, oh, you actually, you've got me. I keep thinking I have to do something and I keep believing that. And I, I get to do these things because you're holding my life together, but I only, I only really come to
0: that knowledge by coming to the end of my efforts all the time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I can really relate to that. I, I, I think I have that realization quite often too, like, oh, I'm trying to do this all through my own willpower again, or in my own strength or, yeah. um, or else I'm, I run into someone who, who's, kind of surprises me who is really trusting in their, in their higher power, or trusting in God and who I wouldn't necessarily expect to be doing that. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's helpful for me to do that too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so in that way, I kind of come to an end of my, my own efforts as well. I guess that's hitting a, hitting a small wall. (laughs) You're an author. I mean, I was looking, look, you know, doing some research on you last night. You've written five books. That's that's incredible. I'm I'm actually in awe of anybody that writes a book. Period. That has the discipline to to do that and finish it and get it out into out into out into the world. <laughs> and it sounds like your next book is going to be super interesting. I can't wait to see that one. as oh, well. fun to write. That's for sure. Yeah, you mentioned some early early on. You mentioned some authors early on. It seems like in contemplative contemplative life, contemplative books and contemplative authors are quite significant and that in the contemplative walk or or learning how to live the contemplative lifestyle who are some of your maybe just currently like who's someone that you've read recently that
1: Good. has had an impact on you I'm going back to some older stuff i mean i'm, I'm okay I, I'm <laughs> like right now I'm reading the interior castle which uh Teresa Aula. Yes, which is, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's not a hard read. It's just a long, that's pretty influential for me. In all honesty, the, the the book, there's a, like, I I can name several authors. Like, I'm paying attention to Mirror by Star. I'm, I'm paying attention to, there's a poet named Gregory Orr whose work speaks to me in that way. The, The book, Roar, to some degree up to a certain point Richard Rohrer, the like immortal diamonds really specifically as a book but the book that helped me most was was actually Merton's seven story mount because it was it wasn't just the instruction it wasn't just the teaching it was the story of his life as a person learning his own belovedness learning it to to become a, a contemplative, to, to contemplate, because it can, you know, as well as I do, it's hard to shake the image in my mind of what a spiritual person looks like, of what a successfully, of what like successful religion looks like in a life. It's hard to shake that image. As much as we don't, as much as we will say like, oh yeah, I mean, anyone, like you just said, I, I, I'm surprised by people at times. As much as like, oh yeah, I mean, anyone can have a connection with God and we'll say these things. But there really is, it's hard to shake those those things in our head. Like I part of the a part of the the workshop I did that became the book called Prayer for Ordinance of Practice was I you know, I, I said, you know, I normally when I when I teach on something, I'll go to I'll go to Google and I'll just type in the word of the topic and see what images Google pops up. It pops up in Google, what it feeds me, because that's the that tends to be the kind of the cultural consensus. This is what that looks like. <laughs> when you type in the word prayer, it's like sunsets and like, it's a, yeah, it's like a, it's all sunsetty and glowing people with their arms raised and, you know, with their hands clasped. It's all those things, all the traditional images, which and the joke in the, in, this, in the seminar is usually something along the lines of like, at which point I recognize that I was, I was praying at the wrong time of day because it's a sunset thing. And I was, that's why it wasn't working for me. But the, the teaching in that for me was that as much as I think that's funny, I would ask whole rooms of people. I said, yeah, you, know, you know that I'm telling you a joke. The other side of the coin is, is it not true that if your prayer life doesn't feel like those images look, at least on occasion, you start to worry that you're doing it wrong. And without, without question, almost every room I've ever been in, whole room consensus. Yeah, totally. It's hard to shake those images of the. This is what this is supposed to look like, and and this is the the darker part of it. It all it almost never looks like me. It always looks like someone else. It always looks like a, a different life. It's not just that. It's a particular image of someone with the like thing draped over their head and they walk very slowly and barely touch the damn ground. It's not just that. It's that. It's it's just other than I am and it was really helpful for me to read merton's story as a, like as a as a narrative because he i recognized my passions in merton and i recognized my energy in merton and not just i didn't just relate with the way he talked about god and the way he talked about prayer i related with the way he lived his life and the things he wrestled with i i recognized my anger and frustration and my short-temperedness i was like oh that I look like that. And so that, that was deeply informative for me. Seven story Mountain changed my life in that way.
0: I I love it. Yeah. I, I I'm feeling this very, this invitation right now, personally, just to be, to be more natural to wild myself, like to, you know, and some people talk about contemplation as, as just developing your natural awareness. Right. And it was funny, as you were talking, I did, I, 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 I put in the word prayer. I Googled it and it images it, And you're totally right. Yeah, there's someone like, you know, putting their hands together. Eyes closed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's it is great. It's wonderful to have those really real and authentic stories. Hetty Allison, I don't know if you ever read her biography. It's really she was a, a Jew in Holland, ended up going to a concentration camp, but it's just she's mentioned quite a bit as well, but just you know, it talks about, she talks about having sex and smoking and, you know, yeah. all, all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, human things. Human things. Exactly. But had a real, a real awareness of, of, of God and and the divine yeah. in everyday life.
1: And of herself. And that's part, that's, that was the, that was the path that I recognize in Merton is mm. I forget. It was just crazy. I mean, as a person from the Christian tradition, Like I forget or just flat out ignore the incarnation as a reality and not just as, and this is part of the problem with evangelicalism and not just as like a a necessary, like God had to do something about sin. And so there's, we're going to do the Jesus thing. No, like God quite literally joyfully inhabited and lived in was a human life. Even to the degree where you have all these years from really early on till he's in his 30s. He's just living a freaking life. Like no one writes anything down. Why? Because it was just just living a life, a normal life, had a job, pooped, did the whole thing, like lived life. I remember really early on in my, in my Christian journey, being somewhat dissatisfied by the, the book selection at <laughs> like the local Christian retailer. And now I know why. But at the time, I was like, why don't you have things that are helpful? And I would search religious bookshelves and other bookstores, and I would find these books by folks outside of my tradition. And I was like, well, let's see what it was about Jesus. And the ones that eventually really irritated the smack out of me were the ones that wanted to dis wanted to dissect or somehow reinvent the lost years of Jesus. And almost all of them have some sort of con- this sort of conjectured the like, fantastical notion that he. Went off to somewhere and learned from the sages, or did this like other hyper spiritual thing, as if like there wasn't sacred beauty beneath his feet the entirety of his uh, of his life. And maybe the difference between Jesus and everyone else is that he didn't have to freaking travel to Nepal to discover the divine; that he recognized it right where he was. And maybe that was the point. We do this all the time, and I have done this to myself years and years and years is it, it's got to look something other than me. It couldn't possibly be this. But the incarnation screams over and over, like, no, 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 this was not just a necessary thing because there's sin in the world. We got to do something about it. There's a divine joy in simply being human that contemplation gives us the opportunity to stop, pause, recognize,
0: celebrate, and hug. And contemplative authors talk a lot about just Being with the ordinary, right? And appreciating and and being aware of the ordinary, yeah. What do you think has changed in your life as a result of your contemplative practice or, or learning more about the contemplation, how, how has it changed the way that you show up in the world?
1: I'm more, I'm uh, interpersonally, I'm far more patient with myself. I am, I'm far less driven. Like I, I have a lot of energy, but I'm not driven in the way that I was in my 20s or 30s. And even to some degree, my earlier 40s, I I'd like the need, the desire to achieve. It's so much more satisfying to and to be received, to be in the left be which is not a matter of inaction. It's just simply a matter of <laughs> not needing to be somewhere else or achieve something new in order to find joy. So I'm more patient with myself. I'm more patient with folks around me because of that. I'm less driven. I'm also, you know, you mentioned, you, know, you talked about you know, wildness. A client of mine has a t-shirt that says, let God be wild and let me be free. The ability to, even the desire to, let God be God and to be on that adventure, to be not just open to surprise, but to expect surprise, like I'm going to be confounded. Wow. That's really exciting. (laughs) And the practice of contemplation has opened, has slowed me down enough and opened me enough to be surprised by God regularly. Yeah, Yeah. That's far more exciting and enjoyable. Than to just predict and know this is how God shows up. I have no idea most of the time. Like, I know, I know God will be. I know, like, good. I'm trusting for good. I'm trusting for the reconciliation of all things. I have no idea how that plays out. I'm really excited about the adventure of watching God do and show up and be and being surprised by it. I get to enjoy it again.
0: Do you have any sort of contemplative community, like do you have fellow contemplatives around you? Yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit about that yeah, I'm on a
1: team of of folks called the Good Way. It's a beautiful, small community of people, and we share in practice and and we also help guide retreats a few times a year. I'm also in a community called Anamkara, which is led by Tara owens in in Colorado um brilliant leader and thinker if you actually in fact if you haven't reached i don't know if you if you know tara at all but like she would be wonderful for this podcast uh sit her feet all day long between anamkara and the good way i'm i'm surrounded by some deeply loving women and men it's a beautiful
0: community actually excellent could you maybe just say about the role of community in your life like how do you see it you know, what's what's the importance of it and and that sort of thing? This is a great question insofar as this has evolved and changed over time. The very, very
1: first book I wrote was a book called CMYK, which is an allusion to, allusion not illusion, allusion to print color process. And in print color process, old print color process, there are four inks in, in your machine, in the machine. There's cyan, C, magenta, M, yellow, Y, and then K is key, which is black. And in, print, in that print color process, if you have all four of those pigments of those, uh, those colors, you can produce any, any color, the picture at all, like imaginable if you have all four. But if you're missing one of them, of just four, the color, the, the color's off, the picture is incomplete. And so if like with cyan there, you lose a crispness with, if you're missing magenta that you lose, you, you miss a little bit of like richness. If, if you're missing yellow, you miss that brightness and that lift. And if you're missing black, there's no, there's no definitive, there's no definition and everything gets really fuzzy, which was this beautiful analogy to me of the, like the necessity of difference that my life is and my expression of, and my, my experience of life is fundamentally lesser if I'm not with people, not just with people, period, but with people who are not like me. I have to be with people I don't understand. In fact, I have to be people with, I have to be with people that I don't naturally like easily. (laughs) have to be. I have to be with people I disagree with about things that actually freaking matter in order to have that deeper, richer, lighter Fuller experience of life. I thought I knew that well enough to write the book. I was just beginning, <laughs> and this is not how things work. Like you say the thing out loud, but yeah. Then life goes. Oh, you think you know? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and in in the time, I mean, that was I released that book in 2012, and in the t- in the years since then, it has become more difficult and therefore more necessary to live with, be in relationship with people who are not like me. And I have been more refined and life is richer. God is wilder to me because of that. Yeah.
0: What a subject, what a topic for our times. What <laughs> we've gone through the last several years. Yeah. 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 It's been a challenging time to to be with and to be in discussion and be around people that we don't necessarily agree with or or like. It's been, it's been tough. Yeah. Excellent. We're almost getting to the end here. I'm wondering what's giving you life right now. You, you, you had a wonderful moment today, <laughs> this morning already, walking yeah. your kids, kids to school on their first day of school. What yeah. else is,
1: is going on and giving you life? A lot of that, I mean, I'm coming to the end of the summer. So a lot of that is very kid oriented. So you know, my son is 12. My daughter is five. This is a really, I'm in, a, I'm in a sweet spot here where they like being around each other still a lot i hope that lasts it doesn't always they like being around me and i hope that lasts and it doesn't always we'll see but watching my kids become watching my kids grow and become my son falling in love with music and playing drums and we were just at a music festival in in new hampshire and just took him i had a i had a job out there and took him to a music festival and watching him enjoy music on his own, and not stuff that i'm feeding him, but watching him fall in love with art on his own, watching my daughter grow and learn it, it is the it is it it is a contempl- it is a contemplative practice to watch and to celebrate and enjoy someone else's becoming and so beyond just parenting and you have to it's a gift to for me to watch my kids become even this at this early age that's Where most
0: of the the richness of life is for me right now. So I think that's a great note for parents too, is just to be as present to as possible. Because like you had this moment today, right? Like you could have you could have easily have missed that. You could have you know been rushing off to work or or be be in that driven state and missed missed what happened today entirely. But you were. You were, thank goodness, you were you were aware. And, and and there's so many different things, especially when our kids are in that, well, throughout their lives, but when they're growing up, especially, and they, we have them under our own roofs. <laughs> so many things that, that are, can be a joy and are just wonderful to watch and just to be present. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. You are a coach and you do some spiritual directing. And I, I just added this recently because I read something by, you mentioned Richard Rohr. Earlier, who and you've probably heard quotes like this before. It's, it's it's so important that the questions that we ask, right? Yeah, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering if there's a question that you wish people would ask themselves more. Am I enjoying this?
1: Is a great question. Mm. It's not. I mean, am I happy? Is also a a good way to to go there. There is something about the the path of joy and happiness. That a lot of a lot of people, but specifically a lot of the religiously oriented people like me, tend to miss, and it it shows up in. Just, I started noticing it really keenly when I would ask college students on retreat about vocation. What are you thinking about doing? What do you want to do with your life? And there was always this two headed snake problem here, where there was like. Yeah, this is what I'm this is what I'm what I'm going to do. And it was usually a bit more practical. Pr- maybe usually sometimes something that came from like mom or dad, like the, there was the practical route I've got to do this. It, and the, for the hyper religions, like I think this is what God wants me to do. And it was almost always divorced from what do you care about? What do you love? That's bad news because I think God can be found in and I think God is God wants it doesn't just want you to be happy. It wants you to be fully alive. And the the division between the division between what I'm supposed to do and what you know what I'm supposed to do and what I want to do, that comes, you know, there, there's there can be some immaturity there. But at some point, as an adult, what I would hope is that you've been refined without your knowing it, in your desires, by the will and the goodness of of a God who's holding your life together. And that part of what you discover, if you follow those desires, those dreams, those passions, those interests, is the actual shape of the spirit of God in your life right there. And that part of what it is that you want when you dream of this thing that you're actually happy doing, is that that joy or the desire for joy is the invitation of God into a deeper experience of your own life. So asking that question more frequently, do I really enjoy this? Because if you don't, it's possible that you're being called elsewhere or being pulled out of something that's stealing life from you. And, and I would pay attention to that. So am I, am I enjoying this? Am
0: I happy? Is a question I, I wish people ask more often. Nice. Does that question come up a lot in your coaching and, and the spiritual direction that you offer, for instance? Yeah, yeah,
1: it happens specifically among younger people, people in their, in their mid to late 20s, early 30s who've locked in on responsibility, which is a good thing. Like they want to be really responsible, but they've done the thing where like, it, it, if I want to do it, it must not be what God wants for me. And I don't know exactly where that neuro comes from, but it lives and it, it lives, it lives
0: and it has teeth and it steals life all the time. I, I don't know if you're prepared for this. I forgot to ask you at the beginning, but we've, I've been asking my guests to lead us in a time of prayer. Sure. a little bit of a contempt. practice. you it sounds like you're ready to go. That you can. <laughs>
1: I can. I actually pull a little thing up
0: here. Great. Right. So at this point, I usually just turn it over to my guests. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. So take it away. Just
1: one of my favorite practices is in general has been Lectio Divina and the the reading and the rereading of a of a text so that I hear it more and it gets in my skin and draws things out of me. And that's changed also the way I write. And so when I offer prayers or snippets, when I post things online, it's a thing I do every day is I'll write these short they're, they're poems in a sense. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this one from a couple of days ago and I'll just read it twice through and invite you to Take the words in. I'll read it the first time through. I'll read it slowly. And then there'll be a little, a little break. And then I'll read it a second time. And I just want you to pay attention to names, faces, people specifically that, are, that, that come to mind as we do. May I offer kindness and safety in ways they were not offered to me. There is no justice in denying others things that I was denied. I'll read it a second time a tad more slowly. Pay attention to names, faces, maybe circumstances, but specifically names, faces that come to mind. May I offer kindness and safety in ways they were not offered to me. There is no justice in denying others things I was denied. And I would invite you to, as the day progresses, think on, reflect on, and ask the spirit to maybe speak to you about why that person, and there may not be a path forward, why that person came to mind. And just let that inform your own heart.
0: Thank you so much. My pleasure. And I should say, and this is I became aware of Justin on Instagram. So (laughs) Instagram is not necessarily the best place for deep things or (laughs) encouraging things, but if you Justin is certainly someone that you I would encourage I would offer or invite you to follow on Instagram. I actually read this one just in a couple of days when you posted it. So yeah. I don't see your stuff every day, but I really do appreciate those little words of wisdom that you appreciate are that you post. And now you've been starting to do some videos as well. Like yes. some, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Find <Finals. laughs> those. are kind of tough to do. aren't they? Do you find them
1: tough? Yeah. Well, I just, I had to get over myself a little bit and just like, oh, yeah. I'm just, like, just going to talk. I'm,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm going to talk. I feel I. I, I can, so I'm just going to do that and stop thinking too hard about it. You and your friend Scott Erickson, Scott the painter on Instagram, are two of my favorite Instagram people to follow, so I appreciate what you guys post. Yeah, Thank you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out to do this today. I know that you have an extremely, it sounds like you got a busy day going and a monumental day, So, but I really appreciate you sharing your life with us and the, your contemplative milestones and look forward to your to your next book and what's the book that you just, you just released. I'm sorry. You just came up. The one, I, the, one, the, the one that's out now, the most recent
1: book that is out now is a book called It Is It Is What You Make of It. It's again about kind of a reorientation of perspective with regards to what I have around me. Mm-hmm. Excellent.
0: Well, we'll put all, all these things in our, in our show notes so you can see how to to get in touch with Justin. I think you're just at justinmcroberts.com, right? Yep. That's about it. Yeah. To come full circle on to say testimicroberts.com. Thank Thanks you, brothers. Thanks again for joining us on Hints of Gladness. For show notes and other resources, please visit hintsofgladness.com.